Welcome to Rock That Relationship, a podcast about all things relationship with Corey and Tracy. Now let's get real and start creating relationships that rock. Hello and welcome to Rock That Relationship, season five, where we are talking all about falling in love. Today's episode, we're going to be visiting the idea of the honeymoon phase, and we are so excited to have on Brittany Steckel, who's an individual and couples counselor, to talk us through what the honeymoon phase is, what it looks like, what we can expect from it, what happens when we exit the honeymoon phase, and we kind of get into the the everyday nitty-gritty of relationships. And so, Brittany, we're really excited to have you on today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's really nice to meet both of you and excited to be here. Well, fantastic. So, Brittany, maybe we can just start real quick before we jump into the questions, really just exploring a little bit about how you got into what you do. What drew you to individuals and couples counseling? Yeah, so honestly, it was through random talks in coffee shops. Um, I love coffee. I love coffee shops. And I had a great conversation with someone about how individuals, even though we like to think we're an individualized society, um, but that we're all in relationships and our relationships really impact who we are and what we do. And so that kind of drove me to exploring more how to work with couples and relationships and some family work, but that wasn't really my jam. Um, but yeah, trying to figure out how to help people within their relationships, understanding them, engaging with them better and just living life more to the fullest. It's awesome. And it's awesome that you figured that out by talk, like it led you to what you really wanted to do, right? Like, were you already helping friends and stuff or talking about that stuff with people in your life? Yeah, I had been a bit, um, I've always kind of been a go-to person for people. Um, but also kind of in my own journey, realized how much I didn't know for myself and how much in some ways I was sabotaging my own relationships. Um, so through a lot of self-healing and my own therapy and helping people just leans more and more into that and love the work that I do. That's why we started the podcast, right, Corey? Seeing how Absolutely. much we were sabotaging our own. <laughs> it was lives. more out of a, like, it was more intended to be like, a don't do what we did. Um, right. and so, but now we're shifting it to like, wow, we've learned a lot. Maybe do a few things that we did, or maybe at least listen to some experts who can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like, it's been profound for us to do it. It's actually helpful. And oftentimes when we're talking, we're like, remember that we talked about that on that episode and this is what we need to do. And I think we do a good job of talking each other down all the time. And we're always like referring to our own podcast and it's so helpful, you know? And I do think like we have to kind of gravitate towards what, you know, the, the kind of things that are happening in our personal life you know, even if it's not what you start out doing for work. So you have a really nice vibe and I'm sure people love to sit and, you know, like with you, you seem very calming. Thank you. Yeah, I get that quite a bit, but yeah. you know, sometimes I think it's my introvertness that's it's like contained and just hold space for other people. But every once in a while I come out of my shell as well. Nice. <laughs> Well, um, could you tell us what the honeymoon phase is? Like what happens in our bodies when we're going through that? And is there such a thing like as 
love at first sight or is that just, is there like a honeymoon phase to every relationship? Do you think? Um, yeah. So I, let me just start with the honeymoon phase in particular. So the honeymoon phase is basically a time where everything feels new and exciting and you're driving towards time with their partner. It's just so rewarding. You get sucked into it, right? Kind of your world narrows in, in a way to that relationship with that one person. Um, and so there's a lot of neurochemicals in our brain that kind of lead us down that road. Dopamine and oxytocin are the big ones that people probably hear about more often. There's also vasopressin and there's even nerve growth factor, mm-hmm. which are really fun. So essentially mm-hmm. your brain is rewiring itself during that time to seek out more and more of those pleasant activities, more of that time together, and just really lean into that connection with this person. Um, and so dopamine is always very motivating. It's a great reward seeker, right? So it's one of the pitfalls for addiction as well. It's very much driven in that relationship um, where you're striving to do something new. You're striving for a bigger experience. And so within the honeymoon phase, it's also very heightened. Of this feels so good. This feels so new where I'm just going to lean into it and even maybe lose myself in it is kind of the shadow side. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so love at first sight. Um, I don't necessarily fully lean into it. Um, I think sometimes love at first sight is like that main attraction drive of, hey, this person seems cool. Sometimes it can be by a really good conversation that you have, and then it's that connection piece. Um, but the honeymoon phase often can last as long as a couple years, right? So it's not just that first fleeting, ooh, this person seems really cool. Let's lean into them for a week or two. Like it can really prolong itself depending on the relationship. I mean, that's so interesting because I always thought of the honeymoon phase as something happens really fast. But then again, I've also known people like, you know, when they call newlyweds, newlyweds, the first two years mm-hmm. or so of, of marriage. But so, so when we think about, I think about when I've gone through the honeymoon phase, right. And I just, I'm, I'm gl- like physically glowing, like people point it out. I'm doing all sorts of things. I remember one time I had just started a brand new relationship and I was so empowered and so excited and I think I've talked about this before, but I, I went home and I wrote my like life vision. I, I it, because it was like, I was just so like the whole world just had this like essence around it. And I felt like inconquerable in some ways. And, you know, I realized that was probably the dopamine um, and probably maybe the oxytocin, something in my brain was going, was going off. But what are some of the things that we can expect that are like some of the productive behaviors that we can do in the honeymoon phase? Well, we're sort of on this high and what are some of the unproductive things like that we might have to watch for that we might step, we might step on a landmine while we're in this space. Yeah. So oftentimes right during the honeymoon phase, it feels so new and so good, right? So a lot of couples, they'll try new things during this time. They'll seek out what their partner likes just so much more naturally, right? You'll lean into the other person. You might spend more time with each other. And the time that you're spending with the other person, you're so much more intentional about. And that's the biggest key, right? Mm -hmm. When you're there, you're fully there. You're fully invested, fully engaged. You're just leaning in to that person in this moment. And so where that can really set 
a relationship up for success in the long run. Um, during the honeymoon phase, also, you can be a lot more impulsive. Um, you can make decisions a lot more rushed than you normally would. Um, you also don't notice some of the difficult things and jarring things, because basically, kind of even as you mentioned, right, there's that filter of how you see the world. Um, in the counseling world, sometimes we call them our rose-colored glasses. So everything looks like love around you of like, oh, we got into this fight, but the next day we reconnected and everything is great again, right? You completely ignore the fight and leave it behind um, because you're just looking for the good. And so where that can really be the downfall is if some of those red flags are happening, then you're more likely to overlook them during the honeymoon phase than you would in other parts of your relationship because you just want to hold on to the good of the partner, the other person. Well, it's interesting because I'm, I've been accused several times of just being a person who loves to fall in love. And then I'm like, okay, bye. Um, (laughs) like, I like that feeling. I like all of that excitement. I'm trying to change that about myself. So I'm currently in a period of being single and I'm actually really enjoying that, which I never thought I would, but is it, it, it is like an addiction, isn't it? I mean, you really kind of forgo everything else. And even though Corey's saying like in a positive way, she turns to do, you know, she becomes even more productive than she normally is. I mean, is that a good thing? I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It varies a lot. I think for, for me, right, there are some people, as you mentioned, that once that honeymoon phase ends, because for every relationship, normality, routines, regular day-to-day life will just kind of reestablish itself. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, right, there are certain people that will then jump into another relationship to feel that honeymoon phase again, right? We'll just be driven towards the next little honeymoon phase, even if it's with someone else, right? Versus kind of what can we learn from the honeymoon phase that maybe can sustain us in the relationship for longer. Um, so yeah, so many people, I mean, I think of teenagers, even as I canceled them as, even as I was one, mm-hmm. right. You're just constantly going from one relationship to the next, right? Like it's all good or all bad, right? The very black and white and what the long-term goal is for relationships is to figure out how to live in the gray in between and how to ride out those waves even better. Because for every relationship, there's going to be different stages, different waves that you have to ride with that person if you want it to last longer. Well, and that makes a lot of sense. I, You know, I think about the idea that the honeymoon phase, we're so used to just sort of being on this high that you're right, like we miss out on potential red flags. and And then here we are kind of trying to navigate the gray and we have either kind of allowed a habit to happen that is unproductive for our relationship because you kind of acquiesce to it this entire time, or you just simply haven't noticed it. And now you're, you know, six or eight months in and you're like, oh my gosh, wow, that really, that's not good at all. Um, so what, is there something we can do without, without taking away the really great, like glow of the honeymoon phase, but during that time that can help us to say, okay, 
I'm going to, I'm going to at least pay attention to something that could be a red flag and not ignore it during this time. Or is it just kind of a time to say, let's just kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit and just enjoy this time. I mean, should we be a little more strategic or should we just go for the ride? Um, I think it can depend on the person a lot. Um, the biggest thing that I see within that is when you're riding that wave and then you make that decision, whether that's commitment to move into together, whatever that looks like, that's where kind of those risky, more impulsive decisions can really take the relationship off course. Um, cause then whether it's financially or emotionally, there's so many more complexities even with living together um, that can kind of override and overshadow um, the honeymoon phase and take it away even faster. Right. So part of it is trying to pace yourself, right, <laughs> I right. think is yes. the biggest thing. Um, but the other thing is also just still trying to stay connected with your friends, um, stay connected with yourself and your life. Right. Cause there are so many people that when they are in that honeymoon phase, Whatever they liked, whoever their friends are, they just disappear from their life, right? And those those signs are particularly when that relationship is going to take a nosedive at the end. Because when something shaky happens, whether it's a fight, whether it's a disagreement, whether, I don't know, someone moves or changes a job and it just upsets the relationship, right? They don't have those supports to come back to. So if you're able to maintain, even if it's a every other week girl night that you're hanging out with your friends, um, do some things that are separate from each other um, to kind of sustain that normalcy. So that way, when the honeymoon phase ends, you have those friends, you have those supports that you're already talking to about it instead of needing to like reach back out and try to reconnect with them at the end. This is interesting because at at first you said, you know, that the relationship can get off course when you're, you know, you're, you're caught up in this, but then it's actually, and then you said this, the, your own life gets off course. Right. So Mm -hmm. I never, ever, ever let any relationship like affect my friendships and the kind of stuff, you know, that I am normally doing. But I then tend to like take all this energy and put it into what the other person is doing, get into their thing or devote my life to them. And then I've lost myself. And that's, you know, I I didn't lose like my friends and whatever, but it's like my personal goals got offline because I suddenly became, oh, they're doing this. They're, uh, you know, they've got this professional thing going or I better help them raise their kids or whatever. And I found that that kind of just bites me in the end, you know, that I'm the one that ends up losing because I've my own life got off course, my goals and things in order to like, I think I, when I'm in that honeymoon phase, I just get so into the other person. Like it is almost an addiction for me. It's an addiction to women that I just love that. Like, Oh, I'm so into this, like, you know, and then I'm like, Whoa, where did my life go? Not my friends and whatever, but literally my goals and career and all that stuff. I I will like throw, I don't care. Like I'm so into the person, like the, the idea of that. And like, is there a way to have that? See, here's where I always bring this up, like therapy when you first start dating or coaching, like everyone should have a coach because it's not that you don't want to give to that other person, but 
you don't see everything, how it will unfold. And you're just like, forget mm-hmm. it. I don't care. I'm just going to, yeah, throw caution to the wind. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I want to say like, I've been right there, right? I was in a relationship with six years for someone and then it ended and I was like, wait, who am I? What do I want to do? And like had to fully reestablish my life. Like I still had friends along the way um, who luckily rode with me because that was a toxic relationship. Right. But it also, I lost sight of what I wanted to do and starting to explore my own interests just for me versus doing something that would benefit my relationship or my partner. Um, And so first of all, (laughs) it happens to all of us, right? And is a learning curve for sure. Um, I think I love when couples come in to counseling, even when things haven't gone wrong. Um, and I'm actually a huge proponent of uh, premarital counseling. Um, and I think it could definitely apply for people even who are dating yes. and who even don't want to get married, but like are committing to each other in one way or another, right? Because part of what premarital counseling does is it opens up the space to have hard conversations. Some couples won't take it. (laughs) Some couples won't get into the weeds, won't really dive into things, but it at least gets them starting to think about this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what the life we want might look like. How does that feel? What does that mean to us? Um, Even talking about like the big things like finances, right? How do you actually balance finances as a couple? Um, one of the biggest downfalls, <laughs> right? Um, and then just starting those conversations can make a huge difference to set the relationship right. Or maybe, hey, maybe we aren't as compatible as we hoped we would be. Well, remember, Corey, there's that book, and I don't know if you've heard of it, Brittany, called The First Eight Dates. And it's like serious from the get-go. And that's what I always mm-hmm. talk about with Indian Matchmaking, the show on Netflix, you know, is that they give you a bio data sheet. They, they're just talk about all that stuff right up front because they're like, and I, why are we going to waste our time? And with their clients, often their clients, I think are a little bit older. And I think the eight days applies more to older people who are like, I just don't have the time to waste, but I think it would be beneficial for everybody. Like, why is it bad to discuss these things right off the bat? I'm not saying I want to marry you, but if I'm a person that's geared towards marriage or I'm a person that's geared towards kids, let's have this discussion right up front. And not even waste time. I mean, yeah. do you? Yeah, I definitely agree, right? Like, there are definitely conversations and things that need to happen while you're dating during that honeymoon phase that some of them are big enough to jar people away, right? To be able to jar the relationship off track enough that there's a little bit of that glimpse of, ooh, this isn't the future I want. Um, and so, cause maybe the person you're like does not want kids and you really do down the road. Right. And so being able to actually acknowledge that, even if it's a part of you and not all of your thinking brain engaged, <laughs> right. It starts getting that percolating a little bit more in the back. Um, the other thing that I'll say though, in the honeymoon phase, is it's so often to say like, change their mind. We'll continue talking about it. It's a conversation right? They don't take it as a no when sometimes it is. 
Well, and as you're, you know, as you're describing this too, I'm thinking how difficult it must be. Well, and I know this for myself to some extent is how difficult it must be to want to engage in those serious conversations when you're so elated about everything, this person can do no wrong. We're never going to have problems. We're different. Right. But then you have to almost like slow it down and say, hold on. These are real, real issues. Like we should, we should talk about this early on. We haven't had conflict yet, but when, when we do, what do we want it to look like? How do we want to resolve it? And so I can see how it would feel like you're just floating and and you're like, I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. Cause that would just bring me down. And I'm on such a, I'm on such a high with this. But isn't that interesting that, that serious conversation, that perception, that serious conversation should bring people down. I think it brings people closer. And if you are with somebody who doesn't want to have those conversations, to me, that's a red flag. Like, I, I don't want to be in that position anymore with someone who doesn't want to discuss that stuff. Yeah. And I, I love that, right? I love that for you. It's like, hey, we need to be able to go here, right? And by us being on the same page, that's even more of a green light, right? Um, I will say kind of avoidant attachment personality styles and all of that. Um, if you're avoidant, meaning, right, like you want to kind of hold people out of hands different hands distance apart, right? You're less likely to take the relationship as seriously. But once you do get into the honeymoon phase, right? Because I'm going to argue that they still do feel it, right? It just might be later. But they're the people that are much more likely of, oop, I'm going to avoid conflict. I just want peace in the relationship. So they're the people who will be I'm not even going to touch this conversation (laughs) because that might bring us back down to earth a little bit, even if it like sets a deeper foundation for us to work from for them that like temporary conflict even might feel too jarring from the. Yeah. I just went through that with dating two people who were avoidant and it did not go well. Uh, Both of those relationships ended because of that, right? Because we can go deeper and I used to be avoidant. So um, I changed my style and, and that's something we wanted mm-hmm. to talk about is like, how does each different attachment style show up and do they experience the honeymoon phase differently? Kind of just said that for avoidance, they, are they experiencing it differently? Do you think different avoidant or attachment styles experience it differently? Um, what I, so I hadn't considered this even before you all asked about it. So thank you for that. Cause I was curious and did my own little research and stuff. Um, so more of what I found is how they react when the honeymoon phase ends mm. is kind of the biggest difference. So they all experience it. Like I said, the avoidant is more likely to be independent and self-reliant. So maybe they won't lean into it as early in the relationship, but they will still feel it. Right. Um, with the anxious attachment style, like when it starts to fade, when the honeymoon phase starts to kind of wind down, right, they'll notice the difference super fast and they'll be like, what happened? Where did things go wrong? Right. They'll start having that anxiety, that fear of I want to get back to this moment. 
right? And that will kind of take over for them and they'll seek out the other person more, maybe even overwhelming the other person because they want all that reassurance. Are we still good? Do we still like each other? What's going on here, right? So it's more of like a sharp decline for them because they notice it. And once they notice it, they're going to press into that difference, which will create more of that distance, create more of that tension. And then the honeymoon phase will kind of fade even faster. Um, avoidant, I would say, is more likely to be the person who will kind of minimize relationships, um, kind of not let the other person in for a good amount of time. And then once they do kind of like them and once they start to lean into the relationship, they'll kind of let themselves fade into it a lot more. Um, but again, they want peace in the relationship. They want things to go well. And so once the honeymoon phase ends, once there's some conflict that starts spiking up, they'll start pulling away because they're like, Ooh, (laughs) yeah, it's like, if this is just conflict again, I'll do that on my own. I'm better off by myself again. And do they kind of perceive just deep conversations as conflict? That was my experience. It was like, why do we have to talk about this? And I'm like, this is a good thing. This actually can bring us closer. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do this. And it's not meant to be. I think people perceive conflict differently, right? I think the attachment styles view what one person could see as deepening a conversation or just a conversation or exploration of emotions and feelings. And they view that as conflict. Do you think that's accurate? Yes. Yeah. So they'll take kind of those conversations as what other people would say as like intense conversations, right? Whether that's good or bad, right? Intensity is more the jarring. So whether that means kind of leaning in more emotional, right? There's a lot more emotions involved, um, Versus being able to kind of stay on the surface, being able to kind of go with the flow, right? They kind of want things to just be maybe little tiny waves, but like those conversations feel so big because those emotions get stirred up. Well, yeah. What about like, I think about secure attachment. What I mean, you, you would just say that's just kind of the prototypical honeymoon phase transition, or is there something that secure attachment people do that maybe those who are anxiously attached or avoidantly attached could maybe model, you know, and sometimes the, the goal is to become more secure. Um, is there something that they're doing that helps transition them out of the honeymoon phase into like the everyday relationships? Yeah, I think for them, it's not really about fear. Um So they'll still have questions and doubts that come up. Um, They'll still have those thoughts. They'll still want to have those conversations, right? But when they engage with them, it's not about fear of, hey, are you disappearing? Are we going to get this back on track? Um, It's more curiosity-led, I would say, um, is the biggest thing. So it's more of those, hey, like, what do you imagine your life to be like in five years? Could I have a piece in that, right? Could I have a part in your future? And it's not out of that fear of, I need to be in your future, right? So that's why I'm asking. I'm just curious. 
I'm going to open up the conversation. Um, and they want to so figure I out feel like, like where they're where... going, right? Like mm-hmm. a securely attached person isn't fearful of those conversations or the reality of what happens, right? I mean, and yeah. my understanding is you could be a securely attached person, but then get with an avoidant, which it's generally, if you're super secure, you, you would just not get with the avoidant in the first place. But if you're me and I move from like kind of disorganized attachment to being a more securely attached person, but still attracted to avoidance, it like, it could, it turned me anxious, right? So I became more anxious. The avoidant nature then made me more anxious, which then turned the avoidant off even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So often I, I base my counseling more within the emotionally focused therapy. Um, and one of the biggest cycles that we see is like pursue withdraw dynamics, mm-hmm. right? So the anxious person is going to pursue, they're going to ask those questions. They want to figure out the answer. They want to make sure you're there, right? They're going to run after you right? And grasp at you, even if it's not in the quote unquote healthiest way, right? It might be, hey, I'm going to throw out this critique, right? To get your attention. Um, I'm going to kind of make a fight over here. So I know that you care, right? They're seeking for that reassurance sometimes in very sneaky ways, (laughs) right? And the distancer, right? Reacts from that of like, you're just creating conflict. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's safer to be pulling away. Like, I just want us to get back to neutral. Right. And so they're going to keep pulling away the more the pursuer goes after them. So super common. And oftentimes there is like a pursuer and withdrawer. And sometimes people can swap and sometimes there's two withdrawers or two pursuers, but usually one person takes one role or the other. Yeah, I was watching something yesterday. It said you, you're not, you're rarely going to have two avoidance get together because by nature, they're both trying to like keep distance from each other. And in order for, and the avoidant wants attention, but they, they don't want any of the responsibility or they can't handle a lot that's coming at them. So if you had two avoidance, they would just be like, bing, like nothing would ever get going because they neither would put the effort in. Yeah, they're kind of living their lives, right? They're those more independent, I'm going to be stable, I'm going to just keep going on my own track, right? And if someone comes up with me, maybe I'll let them join or walk next to me, right? But they're not going to kind of turn towards the other person as much, right? Um, So that's kind of where the avoidant, like, they're oftentimes, like, great teammates, <laughs> They can be great partners and even like figure out life together really well, right? But there's none of that like drive to go deeper. There's very little drive to figure out what makes the other person tick, which is, again, so then they might not be in the honeymoon phase where it's exciting and new to learn all about the other person, right? So they won't form as deep of attachments to each other because there isn't as much of that drive. Well, and then you think about like, as you're, as you two are going back and forth about this in particular about avoidance, because I know Tracy, we've had a lot of conversations about this, but 
you know, I could see how the honeymoon phase could almost create like, again, those rose colored glasses of even attachment styles. I don't even know that I'm with an avoidant until after we transition out of it, or I don't know I'm with someone who's anxiously attached because we're doing everything together and they have no reason to be anxious or, you know, or there's no reason Mm -hmm. for the avoidant to be scared of conversations, deep conversations, because we're just having so much fun together right now. And then here you are three months in, six months in, and you're transitioning into like the everyday relationship. And you're like, wow, okay let's look at our attachment styles and here you are a little bit down the road. So I think that's, that's also something really fascinating. I haven't learned the, you know, in retrospect, right. I didn't know about attachment theory until, you know, well after many of my relationships, but looking back at them, I can see how that honeymoon phase just, just blanketed me. And I had no idea that the the problems that would come up based on attachment styles would, they didn't rear their heads in any obvious way to me during those honeymoon phases. Mm-hmm. And something definitely, right? Like I want to say that the honeymoon phase kind of blinds us all, <laughs> right? And there's also something really good about the honeymoon phase. Like during that time, you're creating memories, you're creating new things, you're creating all of these new parts of the relationship that even after the honeymoon phase ends, you can draw on right? Your memory, um, sensory, visual memory is even more heightened during that time. Um, So then even if it's five years down the road and you're not in that honeymoon phase anymore, you look back on those memories very fondly most of the time, right? Like because they mean so much, right? They're so imprinted in us and in what we do. Um, And so they can form like a positive foundation as well, as long as the blinders weren't on completely. Well, yeah. And I mean, you're transitioning really well into my next question, which is far more academic than we normally talk about on our show. But being an academic, I have to go there. So I was reading a piece in the current opinion in psychology, and basically it was just, there was a study that was done that found that couples um, can actually benefit not just from trying to reduce negative experiences. So I'm thinking about transitioning out of that kind of dopamine high of the honeymoon phase and into regular everyday stuff. But instead of like this, you know, kind of attempt to reduce the negative experiences that couples can benefit just as much by enhancing the positive experiences. So like what you're talking about is kind of drawing back from that honeymoon phase. What are those positive experiences? Can we sustain those longer so that we have some of the benefits of those moving on? And so I'm wondering, are there some things that we can draw from the honeymoon phase that can, that can sustain? Like, are there, I mean, I know people say date nights or, you know, even something as simple as that, or are there just things about the honeymoon phase that run their course? Because I don't know about you all, but I hardly sleep the first three months I'm in a relationship because I'm like up all night. We're talking on the phone. You hang up first, you hang up first. Like, and I'm physically exhausted, right? So some of those things might just have to run their course because our bodies can't take it anymore. But what are those things that you think that are positive about the honeymoon phase that we can take to enhance our relationships moving forward? And then what are those things that are just, let's just leave them behind. They were awesome when they happened. Yeah. Um, so the biggest pieces that you can continue to lean into to sustain the relationship is that novelty. It's the learning about yourself, learning about your partner, learning about your relationship, right? So it could be um, taking courses together. It could be trying new things as a couple. It could be taking occasional trips that are just the two of you. Um, my husband and I just did a mini road trip 
And both of us kind of were thinking it's like, it felt like we were back on our honeymoon a little bit again, right? Because it was just the two of us focused, intentional time, a little bit of stress-free, right? Like it felt like we were back in it. Um, So just being able to create pockets of time that are really intentional and that you're doing something enjoyable together, right? That's essentially all the honeymoon phases. So for some couples, it could be um, trying out new board games together. For some couples, it could be going to new restaurants or it could be travel to some degree, right? Like it depends on what you're able to do and just continue to spice and lean things up. Um, also, uh, people change over the course of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though you like know your partner and you've been with them for the past five years, they've probably changed. Maybe they have a new interest. Um, don't be afraid to continue to learn about them and figure out what they're interested in now versus what they were interested in five years ago. Um, Cause you're going to change. They're going to change. So continue to learn about the other person. Well, I, that's what I like is something that I'm looking for now in a partner in the future is like a growth mindset, you know, that you want to change and be dynamic. And um I, it's interesting to see, like, that's important to me. It's not important to everybody, but you know, I've gone back to the places I've lived, you know, this summer, I've gone back to Seattle and I'm in Wyoming right now. And I'm seeing people that like their lives haven't really changed that much. And I've left and I've done all these different things. And for me, that's what I thrive off of. And I found that to be with somebody successfully in a partnership is I want, I want that person. We don't have to do the same thing. I don't have the person doesn't have to be into my hobbies, you know, but like that they are doing stuff, that they're like challenging themselves and moving forward. And I feel like, are there relationships? Like, I feel like that's essential for a relationship. Are there relationships where things can just come be static? Or those are the people that we see that suddenly they're getting divorced after 35 years because they didn't like challenge themselves. Because I'm always shocked when I see people get divorced after they've been together for a long time, like, um, you know, 30 something years. And you're like, I would have thought you would have made it, you know, like you've already made it that far. But I feel like that's that kind of stagnation. And it's, it's like, they stop wanting to challenge themselves. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I will say like, it's, it's super heartbreaking for me. Um, I have some of those couples come into my office and they're trying to figure out their relationship almost from ground zero again, right? Because maybe they didn't know how to connect emotionally at the beginning of their relationship, but they dove in and they started a family and then everything was focused on the kids. And now that the kids are out of the house, what do we actually do? Like, how are we a couple? Like we've just been roommates for the past 10 years, right? And so it's how do we start to have those deeper conversations again? Um, and in some ways, rediscover the honeymoon phase, right? For for some couples, that's so much more natural <laughs> in retirement and having the kids go out of the house. It's like, cool, let's lean in. Now we can do all these fun things, right? For other couples, it's like, I don't even know what I like anymore, let alone what you like. How do we even start? Um, So it's kind of getting that momentum even going again of learning about yourself um, 
And for a lot of those people, I would encourage them, like, try to do it for yourself first and let the other person follow or let them, like, figure out what feels good for them, right? And that might be different interests and they might like your same interests. Um, But if you keep growing, you can also inspire the people around you to keep growing, too. Excellent. Wow. Well, this is, this has been amazing. This conversation again, you know, just kind of thinking, you know, really diving deep into this idea of the honeymoon phase. Cause you know, it's, it's easy to just kind of look at like, here's a whole relationship, but there's this weird period of time, right. That just, that sets you in whatever direction you're going to be going into. And sometimes mm-hmm. is a much more seamless transition to like a, a natural relationship that is sustained and other people, they come out of it and they go, Ooh, this is not what I signed up for. And then like what you're talking about is, is, you know, this idea you've been together with someone for years and years, and then finally the kids are gone and you have a moment of quiet. And especially if you're retired and have no work uh, to go to, you like, look at this person and you say, I'm excited to have our next phase of life together and reignite, or some of them look at each other and say, Ooh, I don't know who you are. I don't know, but what we're going to do. And so I like the ideas of, of sustaining and growing together, right. And setting the tone for that in the honeymoon phase, which is this idea of really just having a sense of curiosity and inquiry about the other person and keeping that alive. Um, I know in my house, it's a, Every night with my partner and my daughter, we sit around the dinner table and we do uh, highlights and lowlights of the day. And then we always talk mm-hmm. about one thing we learned and we share with each other and we we get a chance to kind of see different things. And the other night we did this uh, thing. We were all apart for about a week doing our own thing. And we came back together and I said, let's do a little activity where we show each other. Uh, I'm going to give you a category and you show a picture of something in that category that you, a picture you took over the last week. So something that made you happy. And then we all showed each other pictures of things. And it was like, I didn't know that made you happy or, and I'm like, I, you know, we've known each other for a long time. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. And, um, trying to find ways, even if they're orchestrated because I'm an educator and I literally bring curriculum to the dinner table, but this idea of like trying to infuse like a sense of kind of curiosity into the culture of what we do, because I can see how you can get on. I've been on autopilot before and five years passes, mm-hmm. seven years passes. And you're like, wait a minute, I, we haven't really had a substantive conversation. Um, so, but isn't that like, I think with either just a partner or just a, with kids, right? Is that you do that every day that you like check in with those people and that you actually like try and explore more with them. I, and I think there are some people that just, they're not interested or that's like, they don't want that. Right. And I think that's where you as the person who does that, you have to say like, am I with somebody who wants to do that? You know, and teaching a kid to do that is great right? Like, mm-hmm. because you're not always going to be in the same place. And I, I think that has to start from the get go. Like we just keep mm-hmm. having this conversation about like emotional intelligence or understanding relationships and, and that, and we don't, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Brittany, like do a good enough job of that from the time people are young, like mm-hmm. modeling and stuff. So like people who are coming into you, are they they did probably didn't have good models for relationships and now they're struggling. Right. Yeah. I, as you both were talking, I was thinking of a couple of couples that I see in my office um, where one partner grew up and emotions were not talked about or were unsafe, right? They were used against them. And so then why would I open up my emotions with anyone moving forward? 
right? I'll talk about the facts, I'll share details, right? But I'll also only share it if you find it interesting, right? And so there's this so much filtering happening and the other partner is like, I just want to know you, like, let me in, right? And it's really hard and it's trying to retrain and create a space where it's curiosity that's like, there's an open invitation without a demand from the other person, right? Of how do we help create the space where it's safe to share and explore together in this completely different way. Um, and then I have an older couple that is coming in who they haven't really experienced emotional connection, right? And they're like, we are finally learning about this and we want it, but we don't know how to do it. Help us figure it out together, right? Which is so beautiful of, right? They're taking those steps to try to figure out we can have a deeper relationship. What would that look like? What would that mean? Um, and it'll be an interesting journey, but that's um, awesome. I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Rather than just, yeah, rather than just break up or split up, right. they're like, let's just try this and let's see. And I do think if you're saying older, I hope you're mean older than me of uh, being 53, but like if people are like in their seventies, <laughs> like my parents age, they did never had that. They never got that. That's mm-hmm. just so rare in that era. You know, it just, you kind of just got on with life and did it, but people didn't really take the time to like really connect deeply or explore that stuff. And I, I get it because life was, and it is around the world, very much survival, right? And this is kind of a luxury, but it's also what's going to help us move forward in the world to caring about each other and like making a world that actually cares about people, you know, where we care about each other. And I think that starts with individual relationships, you know? Yeah. And it's how do we help raise people up in the next generation that can step into that work so early on that they're able to name their emotions and express it without conflict or harming people. Right. right? They're able just to hold that tension. Um, and unfortunately, our society doesn't create a safe space for dialogue right now around a lot of issues. So it's how do we kind of create a counter culture where we can have those dialogues and those conversations so that especially for the avoidant type, right? Talking about stuff doesn't mean conflict. It just means conversation. And being vulnerable doesn't mean that you're going to be hurt, you know, and like Mm -hmm. you're part of that, I think movement. And we really appreciate that to like help people. You're helping people, which then they're able to have better relationships with everyone around them. And it's really crucial. And thank you for that. And thanks for coming on and talking to us about this stuff. Yeah, this is really fun. I really appreciated it. Well, thank you, Brittany, so much for all of your insight. I, I, my brain is full and as usual, Tracy and I will probably process when we're done and then we'll go to our respective therapeutic interventions. And, you know, all of this, I swear, I'm telling you every single time we talk to people on the podcast, it's like, wow, that was so helpful for me. Right. Um, and so we know that it's definitely going to be helpful for our listeners. Um, speaking of listeners though, if they want to learn more about you, um, what's on your horizon, what kinds of things do you offer? We'll certainly put like your, your website or any of your social media handles in our show notes, whatever you would like to share, but just in general, what, if someone were to seek you out, what kinds of things, um, might they be able to, 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 to do with you or to get with you? 
Yeah, so I am a counselor based in Colorado. Um, so I have Littleton and Parker locations. Um, and so, yeah, I have my website. I do an occasional blog on there. I go through waves of whether I'm writing or not. Um, but I do have some blogs and some resources on there, even around kind of how to maintain the honeymoon phase afterwards or what to do when it ends. Um, and then right now more, I'm just leaning into my private practice with counseling, but I'm also looking to start to supervise counselors that want to work with couples and relationships and kind of help them do a good work around that area. Cause it, again, it's so needed. Um, relationships are so precious and we need to treat them well. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Not a whole lot, but teasing it out as I go. Well, you are doing a whole lot. Everybody that you talk to and everybody that you're, you know, you're helping in your sessions and, you know, it just, it's a trickle effect. You know, I know that from my therapeutic experiences that I've gone on and I've done things that have helped other people. And so it's, you know, pay it forward. And and again, we appreciate you taking the time to be here. And so, um, you know, as, as we say to our listeners, until we reconvene on our show, go out there and rock those relationships. If you liked what you heard, check out our show notes for resources from today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Rock That Relationship and go to our website at rockthatrelationship.com for updated episodes and more great information. Thanks for listening. Now go rock those relationships.